Hey, everybody, it's Carrie Champion, and this is The Brown Print, a podcast that offers solutions and guidance for the marginalized and those who feel left out. These discussions will act as a guide to mentor those in need of direction and also to inspire those who feel hopeless. We will move the needle forward and speak out on the issues by way of dialogue and telling stories of those who need to be heard. When I was an intern at BT, I remember there was a guy who would say, ask for what you want, take what you get, use what you get to get what you want. And I thought, oh, okay. And I remember typing it out and folding it on a printer, folding it and putting it in my little jury box. And I looked at that every morning for years. And that's essentially what I've done. And that's what I think helps. You know, you're not always gonna get what you want, but you use that, um, take the best you can out of whatever experience you can out of whatever you're given and keep on climbing. You've more than likely seen Chanel Jones on your TV as the co-host of the third hour of the Today Show. Chanel is truly so kind and always so positive. Sometimes you think, is that true? I can tell you it is. Uh, she delivers so much joy that is needed now, especially in the day and age we live in. And you can watch her every morning on the Today Show, putting a smile on our face, talking to us about pandemic news as well as political understanding. But she also finds a way to make sure that we can understand what else is most important in the world. Chanel spent years as a broadcaster working her way through local markets like Philly, Tulsa, Springfield, and the Big Apple, New York City. I wanted to really get a sense of what that journey was like for her as a Black woman that's in what I like to call rarefied air in this TV space. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Chanel Jones on this edition of The Brown Print. So first and foremost, uh, as a broadcast journalist, I've noticed that there are always these jobs that you you love to have when you're a kid. There are these idea positions, ideal positions you find yourself in. Today's show being one of them. And whenever I saw someone who was brown on the Today Show, it made me happy. It made me feel as if, okay, if you see it, you can believe it. And I know that you understand that. So watching you own a space in such a very um, loving way, but all the while knowing that you are who you are at your core and your values have made you who you are in terms of your work ethic, but you're doing something that is not easy to do. While it may look easy, it is not easy to do. So thank you for joining us, uh, Chanel Jones. I'm like trying not to print. Like stare at your face because I have been following you for a while. I remember uh -huh. when, when I first moved to New York, um, I started today's show maybe six years ago and I, like a year and a half in, it's hard. It's a little lonely. It's hard to meet new people because you're especially on a morning shift. And I remember yeah. going to lunch with a producer, a brother man. And, <laughs> and I was like, I just feel out of the loop. Like, you know, people are like, oh, you should follow this person. You need to know that person. And I was like, who, who do I need to know? Like, give me some right. people. And he was like, well, I know, you know, Carrie. And I was like, Hey, yeah. you're like, no <laughs> different world. So then he's like sending me links. He's like, you're going to love her. Like this girl, she transcends sports. She's this, she's that. And so it's so funny because with Instagram, like you and so many other people, like, I feel like I know y'all. And yeah. I don't know you. So you're talking to me and I'm like, wait a minute, she's so beautiful. It's so wonderful. Oh, you're so sweet. No, hi. I'm so happy you're here. And we are friends, by the way, because I follow you back. So of course, Instagram, that's the beauty of social media, right? You'll be like, tell me, I feel like we're all friends already. And I know Melvin, like I'm just naming the people that I really know, know, um, because I used to work with his wife. 
Oh, uh, with Craig and Lindsay. Yes, yes. yes. And yeah. it, it's so true. And Craig. it's no. funny because I will say we're about to get into it, but times have changed. The silver lining of all of this craziness with social media and all that is that it actually gives me strength. Like if I see your post or Jamel's or somebody I may not even know, sure. another sister girl, like it makes me realize that even though I may look around and I may be the only one, you know, we're still out there. And then you just, it just gives me a little bit of strength. So with the things that you're doing, even though you may be on one coast and I'm on another, I just want you to know okay. that I feel like everything you're doing, you know, it helps me too. In addition to the young folks who are listening or whoever's listening, it also yeah. helps. We help each other. We are encouraging each other 100%. Like it, it literally, without even saying anything, we're encouraged sometimes, right? Like we don't have to have a full girl touch meeting, but like I'll do that to like, or I'll just jump base and I'll just, I'll jump in people's DMs and be like, hey, I see you. I love you. Right. That's the beauty of social media. And they'll be like, okay, weird lady, but thank you. <laughs> okay. No, so, I see you and I love you. So there you go. I see you and I love you. Okay. And I, and I have to start with this. From my understanding, you knew what you wanted to do when you were a little kid. It on a piece of yellow construction paper you drew what in class wow you've you've done your homework um so i did it was fifth grade career day mrs james's class i got to go back and thank her last year which was one of the highlights of my career but um for career day we had to draw a picture of what we wanted to be and they say what you think about you bring about and i drew myself as a news anchor i didn't even really know what it meant but i drew this helmet hair hoop earrings, like shoulder pads. I did a little box by my head with squiggly lines. Like I just, <laughs> there was just something about it. I used to dance, you know, and when I say dance, I mean, Taps Dance School. It was a black dance school in Wichita, Kansas. Like there's like 20 of us. So it's not like, you know, yeah. Alvin Ailey or anything like that. But um, yeah, yeah. so, you know, but so I liked the performance aspect. I was smart. I used to like to read. I talked too much. And so for some reason, broadcast news seemed like it would like, it would combine all the things that I love, even at an early age. And I remember waking up on Saturday mornings and in addition to news, because I didn't really see anybody who looked like me, except uh, Allison Payne. She was an African-American woman on WGN in Chicago. I of uh, a legend. Yes. Legend. If you're in because I started in local news. I, oh. I remember her. Oh, yeah. 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 So I used to in Wichita at nine o'clock, I would turn on the super station and I would see this black woman. I'm like, whoa. So her and then on Saturday mornings on NBC, um, NBA Inside Stuff with Ahmad Rashad and Willow Bay. Yeah, yes. That was my jam. <laughs> yeah. Like I can't, I had a, like a turn dial television. I had like rabbit ears. I would like mm -hmm. put tape on it. So I would just be just, uh -huh. the ears would be just right. And I could watch them. And he was so cool with the earring. And yeah. Willow Bay was like newsy, but approachable. Like uh -huh. I was like, this is what uh -huh. I want to be. <laughs> and that is, uh -huh. that was the, the seed. It's so funny. Those names. I mean, they really and I every time I see them or run into anybody of that elk, I make sure I give them their flowers. because I want them to know seeing them really um, was such a change for all of our trajectories and what we could do. So you didn't necessarily know what it was, but you knew you had all the hallmarks of it. And by the way, when you're that young, you don't know what that looks like. But when did it become a reality for you? You were like, this is what I want to do. I want to be a broadcast journalist reporting the news, anchoring the news. Well, I remember my grandmother and my mom and folks in my village at church would say, well, what would you need to do to do that? Well, you need to speak well. You need to read a lot of books. You need to be approachable. You need to be friendly. You need to ask a lot of questions. You need to read. So I just did those things. Right. And I remember 
uh, in Sunday school at New Hope Baptist Church in Wichita. <laughs> I would read the minutes after Sunday school. And I remember liking how it felt <laughs> to present the minutes that we collected $76 and that Brother Nance was going to collect this for the, this. you know, I just, I, I liked how that felt. And everyone, I look, I think about it now, they were so encouraging. You know, I would speak and, you know, behind the pulpit, Pastor Beans would turn around and nod his head. good, you know? <laughs> so it's like all of those things, I think, over time, you know, and then running for student council and then being student council president, you know, you just, and then after a while, you almost, you know, I started saying that's what I wanted to do. And no one ever told me I couldn't until maybe junior year in high school. Uh, my grandfather was one of the only black uh, physicians in Wichita. So I was always hanging out at his office and a guy came in one day and he, I was hanging out behind the office and he asked me uh, what I wanted to be. And I told him I wanted to be a news anchor. And he was like, but what else? And I was like, well, what do you mean, what else? And he was like, I mean, you know, and he did my little cheeks because I had these, you know, I was, well, I was a little fluffy. And so, you know, yeah. he pinched my cheeks <laughs> and he was just like, you know, there's not a lot of people who, you know, look like you, you know, what's your backup? And I was, I think about it now and I'm like, mm-hmm. that was the first time that anybody yeah. had ever doubted me and I didn't have a backup. And then I thought, well, I don't want a backup. This is what I want to do. So then I think I was even more, you know, and high school counselors would get me internships and I would go to the local CBS affiliate in my cheerleading skirt and run teleprompter for Cindy Close and Roger Cornish. And then the next year I went to the public station and then, you know, I went to Northwestern because I heard that was a good place to go. And then every summer I made it a point to have an internship. So in my freshman year, I went back to NBC in Wichita. My sophomore year, I remember I called up BET, just cold called, because I remember watching <laughs> Tavis Smiley and Cheryl, I can't remember her last name at the time. And I was like, oh, I have a BET news, let's see. And I remember calling them and I was like, you know, it's only March, you know, but next summer, do you think I could get an internship? And the guy was like, you know what? Normally we have a process, but you're calling me a year in advance. So yes, you so know, why not? And yeah. my sister went to Howard. I slept on her floor over the summer into, and worked at Rainbow for money and then went to BT for free and yeah. did the same thing, teleprompter scripts. And so every single summer, like I just, I was always in a newsroom trying to figure out how to make it work. How important, because I think of the of those stories, once you get in the, the grind of it all and you know that you have to intern or you have to have yourself in position so people know that you really want to do this and you can learn by watching because observing to me is the greatest teacher. But how important was it for you when you were uh, in church, you know, reading the minutes? I read the program and I would never get it right, right? I'd be reading the program and my grand, it'd be five people in the church and my grandmother would always correct me when I got to the big words when I couldn't pronounce <laughs> certain words. And I'm like, thank you. And then go back to reading the program. How important is that to have your village encourage you while that's happening? You know what I mean? In that moment, and the pastor's looking back at you like, go ahead, Chanel. How important is that for your spirit to, as you push forward? Girl, I could do the ugly cry right now. That is how how thankful I am um, that the people around me were, I get chills just thinking about it because sometimes, you know, you hear a kid say, uh, I'm going to be a lawyer. And somebody said, you ain't going to be no lawyer. What else you going to be? You got to come up with a backup, you know? Okay, fine. It's good to maybe think of other options. But when young people tell you what they want to do, you know, I firmly believe what you think about you bring about. So you say, okay, well, what would you need to do to be that? And I am so thankful that I had people in my life to do that Um, because I go back to Wichita and sometimes I'm like, I I did it. Like I, Mm -hmm. you know, wow. 
you know, right. and the village, you know, they're so proud of me even now. Like, you know, the, the mothers of the church, a lot of them passed away, but my mom's, you know, her sore roars and <laughs> I mean, everybody was trying to help Chanel. Was, I remember my first internship at the CBS affiliate. The lady who worked at the front desk at the CBS affiliate was um, the secretary worked at, went to our church and was the secretary at our church. So my grandmother called Annie and said, Annie, can you get Chanel into And she, now that I know how newsrooms work for the lady at the front desk to go back to the news director and say, Hey, there's this young girl at my church, help her, you know, help her get in. That's everything, everything. It's so beautiful. I love that so much because I think that that is where your spirit is born and that is where your your determination is literally living and breathing. And you remember those moments, even if you don't remember those moments, because this business isn't easy. And as you went to college and you and you started in your local news, tell me about your very first job. Where were you? I believe it was in Springfield. I'm not for sure. Yeah, but tell me, Illinois. Yeah, okay. It was right outside of Chicago, Illinois. And one man band or one did you have okay, okay one man okay. band which means you set up your own camera your own everything and 20 i graduated in 2000 from northwestern mm-hmm. so 20 mm-hmm. years ago the cam- i'm 411 so 20 okay. years ago <laughs> the camera was like my size and i never will forget i remember doing a story at a mall and the Ellis escalator was broken so i'm going up the steps with my camera and all that and no telling what the story was probably a talent search or something at the local mall and people were calling the news room complaining that this little short girl was out here. Where's her camera person? How how come she don't have a camera person? You know, so many people complained that my news director was like, look, I know I hired you as a one man band, but too many people just feel like it's like not nice. I'm gonna get you a photographer. And I was like, but I don't mind. He was like, no, we're gonna get you a photographer. And so that helped. Because uh, then my head wouldn't cut off and all my shots and stuff. Um, and I was a, so I was a morning reporter. And then I would kind of, you know, I was kind of like the little side reporter for their, the, the, the NBC morning show. And I befriended the morning anchor at the time. Her husband was a news director and she would help me out. You know, she would call it out sick and say, hey, you want to fill in tomorrow? OK, I'm about to be out oh. sick. You know, I go get my hair done. I'm like, OK, you know, <laughs> and I look back at that. And again, there are people who, you know, there are plenty of people who yeah. don't believe in you. But the ones who do, those are the ones you hold dear. Right. And so yeah. when they left because he got a job somewhere else, they gave me that position. So that's how I kind of yeah. got on the desk. And my, my co-anchor at the time was an older guy, older white male. And he was really tough on me, but loving. But he would make me get a pencil mm. and put it in my mouth for the show. And enunciate our scripts because he said I mumbled hardcore. Like he would say, make sure, you know, you're kind of mumbling early in the morning. You need to speak clearly. So it's probably a little bit of hazing in there. But you know what? Sure. Maybe better. And I would, you know, I would get up every morning. There were some mornings because, again, I was I I would take so funny. I took a tap class because I missed I was homesick. I didn't know anybody. It was like these older white ladies. They called themselves the Golden Girls and me. And they were all at least 70. And I would take the tap class. It would be over at like seven. I would rush home and go to bed to be at work by 3.30. And I did that for, you know, a couple of years. And that was just, that was my life. When did you do your very first story or have your very fir- first moment on air where you're like, this is it. This is what I have been born to do. This is what God called me to do. I'm set apart for this. What was that story or what was that moment? What market were you in? Okay, so it was actually when I was an intern. Mm-hmm. Um, ever told you every summer I would I would find an internship. And I had this idea junior, senior year to pick a city that was small enough to where they would let me go on air, but yet still have like a Chiron and stuff so I could make a resume tape with like a, you know, a legit tape. And so I was yeah. in Topeka, <laughs> Topeka Kansas. 
And I remember somebody called out or something and they said, hey, Chanel, can you go interview this? I think he was like a POW or something like that, older white guy in Topeka. And I remember sitting down with him and being forever changed. In that moment, he didn't see me as some college student or whatever. He saw that he saw I was a reporter and he was honored to tell his story. And I didn't know much about, you know, the wars and prisoner of war. I just didn't know much. And so I was listening to him and his hands were shaking and he started crying. He was showing me all these pictures and things that he saved when he was in the prison and all that. It was so different from my world and what I'm, I was familiar with that I was like, this is really cool. Like it's so out of my whatever, but sitting down with this man and like, I'd never seen an old man cry and with the questions. And I just, I ended up being there for so long. And I remember getting back to Edit Bay and I'm like, that's when I learned, you know, you can't just interview people for two hours. Cause you have to log it, you have to there, like, <laughs> write the time code and log it or whatever. But it was, and that was just, you know, I think of now all the celebrities that I've interviewed and, you know, who's who politicians and all that. But I will always remember that old guy. Like he, yeah. just because he was just so, I was like, I love people. I love hearing people's stories. I love mm-hmm. everything about it. I love that every day is different. You know, I love, you know, especially now you're interview. If you're interviewing people at the network or even and it's somebody on the news, it's because they did something kind of cool, hopefully. Right. Yeah, or they did right. something of note. And so you are surrounded by people who are doing things of note long enough. You hope that it rubs off on you. And if it's the other end of the spectrum where, especially in local news, it's somebody who lost their home in a fire or somebody who's a victim yeah. of a crime. You also learn gratitude and you also recognize that life is not promised and that we are you know, fortunate to be able to be in these positions and tell their stories. So any way I cut it, I love what I do. Yeah. And that is a blessing. I think that there are so many people um, who don't have similar stories that, that we have. Like we knew when we were a kid, this was it. I felt destined. I already knew what it was. But for those who are, um, you know, on the path trying to figure it, figure it out, how do you help them? What do you say to them as they're trying to figure out they if they love it? Like, how do you how can you determine if you love what you're doing outside of just doing it? Because if if, if somebody comes up to me, whether they're a young person or even let's say in their 20s or 30s and they wish, you know, they would have taken a different path, but things, you know, are the way they are and they want to get into it. I feel like sometimes I can smell it. You have to you have to be willing to do the work. There are a lot of people who just want to come on and be you or Julianne Rancic and go on E or, you know what I mean? Like they're uh-huh. like, want to be a face. Yeah. And those folks get weeded out very quickly in the yeah. New- and so I always say there's a difference. Like if you want to do, you know, you want to be a lifestyle correspondent or you want to do fashion or whatever, that's amazing. And that's great. Um, but if you want to do news, it's kind of a little different, you know, because it's they, you know, you have to put in the work. You really do. And there's a and to me, especially for young folks, you know, there are some sacrifices. Like I look back and I've missed birthday parties, weddings, funerals, girlfriend get togethers. Girl, we're going to Jamaica this summer. I can't go. Uh, A friend of mine, one of the hardest things, lost a child and I couldn't get off work. I mean, just, you know, there's so many things I look back on that I missed. Um, you know, I wouldn't mm-hmm. trade it, but it's it doesn't come easy. You know, the putting yourself out there every day, the things that you see maybe on social media, the frankly being the on, only brown face often, like sometimes things mm-hmm. get to you and it's it's not easy. Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Being the only brown face. Mm-hmm. What what pressure and obligations do you feel? I remember in Springfield when I was looking for my first job. I would go to websites back then. Each website or news stations would, you know, have their WIC, whatever. And I would see if they had a black woman and mm-hmm. right or wrong. I'd be like, oh, they already have one. Let me go to this affiliate. And I look back oh, on that. Man. And that's sad. 
but it's my oh. truth. Whether it's right or wrong or whatever, I remember thinking, well, they're not going to have two of us. So sad. Wait a second. Can I ask a question? Can sure. you say that? Can you say it again? Because that used to be my mentality. You would go. I would go to the website and I would yeah. do the meet the team and I would look at the five o'clock team, the morning team, the evening team. And I would look at them. And if they had a black female, I would just go to another affiliate and send my VHS tape because I felt like they already had one. And I'd never mm. seen a place with more than one. So, and, and I look at, I think about that now and it, again, that was in the year 2000. So 20 years ago, that's so sad. And I didn't even notice that that's what I was doing until like now when I'm doing these interviews and stuff, but looking back, it, it wasn't a, even a conscious thing. It was just like, Oh, they already have one. Let me just go to another affiliate, you know? But that was, it was, it wasn't a conscious thing, but it was also a direct result of the messaging that had been Absolutely. told to Absolutely. And messaging. It wasn't just you. And messaging that was never actually said, but you just kind of know, which is also a Jedi mind trick. Like what made me think that they only had one? Is it because I've only seen one and most of the time that's kind of how it is, but either way, that's kind of how it was. And, you know, even now there are a lot of, it's gotten a lot, it's gotten better. But it used to be there's one there, there's one there, you know, and we'd meet up for drinks after all our networks. <laughs> like sad, but true, but true. And, and, you know, as you climb the ranks, when did it get, a, you know, a chain? Once I got to, I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm like, okay, there was an um, African-American female. Now we're like this. Uh, she was on the desk. She went to Langston and we befriended each other. And she always wanted to be on air. And so I was like, come here. And so on Saturdays, I was a weekend anchor at the time. She would bring in her scripts and I would tear them up and we would rewrite. I'm like, we're going to do this. And now, yeah. you know, when I left, she was reporting and anchoring. Like, and she oh, was, amen. you know, that's, that's what you do. I mean, you just, so there were two of us by the time I left, yeah. you know, you just look out, for, <laughs> you look out for each other. And it's just, there you, is definitely a mentality when you get to what I like to call rarefied air, no matter what position that you're in, when you see more than one, we're like, well, look at you. You know, we see, it's like, we see you. And I'm sure you have that experience even now on the Today Show when there's more than one or two people. One time I tuned in, it was you, Craig and Al. I was like, what are we doing today? You know, and when we see those moments, that is today still a moment where we're like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Let me tune in. Absolutely. Know? I used to host Saturdays, uh, the weekend show, uh, the Today Show. Mm-hmm. And for a while, Craig and I were the co-hosts. Mm-hmm. And that was a moment. I cried. My grandmother cried. You know, his mother hugged my mother. I mean, you know, it's never something that we, I, we, do we, did we talk about on the air? Maybe towards the end. And we had a, when, when Craig moved to weekdays and then I moved on, we had like a staff get together and off air, you know, I definitely did the ugly cry. And I just said, look, you know, there were a lot of people who said, you know, this would never happen that you'd have two brown faces on the network. And, um, it did happen, but it was not lost on me that we did that. Yeah. And it, it wasn't lost on those who who watch you and watch just to see that, um, because whether you can talk about it or not, or you can be as honest as you want to, you're sending such a profound message just in that space by sitting there and doing your job and being excellent. And I think so many times, you know, especially look, when I was at ESPN, we would have those same moments, you know, where I was like the first black woman to host a show Monday through Friday. Like it was crazy. It was like 
2012 or something. Now we have plenty of black women like Robin came it for us. She, you know, it was uh, um, Sage was there, but no one was sitting down, you know, that was brown skin Monday, literally brown Monday through Friday, making people feel comfortable on a popular show. And we own that because it's okay to, um, because you're, you, I, I feel when I said to you obligation of being a brown face, um, do you know the, without even knowing it's a responsibility, the love that you have and the power you possess by the position that you hold within the community. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, absolutely. In every city I've, I've worked, I mean, because I remember how I used to look up to my local news people. I was the dork that had cheerleading pictures on this wall, Tevin Campbell and Janet Jackson on this wall. <laughs> and then on the other wall, I had local news anchors. Like, <laughs> I had their, like black and white glossy pictures. So no, it is not lost for me. So in local news markets, especially before I had kids of my own, I was always reading the classrooms and going to schools and, you know, I'm an AKA and Link, you know, so I was going to all these things and volunteering. It is not lost on me at all. And then when I do that and I go back into those local newsrooms and I was the only one, it just, it, it, you know, it reminded me of who I am and whose I am. And it just, it felt bigger than me. So it didn't feel so difficult some days. Yeah. It, w- it was for the ancestors, girl, whose you are. Cause they sit up here watching happy. Absolutely. Amen. Okay. So I, I look and I have to say you put up AKA, um, we can't tell y'all nothing. You know, after after Kamala became VP, I was just like, I'm done. I'm a skiwi my way through the world. And my mom I, is out the chapter. My mom went to Howard, and uh, so <laughs> my cousin, you know, I, and I they let me. I would have been the fourth generation of Howard. Like I, that's how how. And I went to Northwestern. Um, uh-huh. You can't tell them nothing. Like, word. Ain't, ain't for a while. <laughs> like my cousin Carlene was like, I know you went to Northwestern, but how about our VP? You know, and um, and it's not because too because I work for NBC News. So I mean, you know, it's like. You know, I feel like I was, you know, I was yes, yes, yes. Listen, all, you know, politics aside, it is a big deal. Have. Not even I'm not even I'm just talking about a woman, a black woman oh, and a just, woman who is unapologetic about her strength and her ambition and her career choice. So many times we have to play the game and 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 speak nice to them. And she's like, no, no, no. Here we go. Here I am. And I'm it just encourages me. OK, I, I digress. I digress. OK, so what I what I love about you and 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 probably one of the first time that I've had this on this podcast, albeit new, um, but I love the space that you represent in terms of being a mother and a wife and uh, a black woman working and and maintaining all of that. And while, gosh, I know it it is not easy. It it looks easy if I go to your page, but I know it is not. Um, not. (laughs) Tell me how you are able to manage that. And I'm sure you're often asked that question, but how you are able to maintain it's a lot. So right now to have a quiet household, uh, my daughter is with um, a family up the street. They're watching her. She's an eight-year-old twin. My boys are at soccer practice as we speak. My husband took them um, and we had another mom go get them and take them. Like, so it's a, it takes a village and I'm not from New York. So it's, it's been difficult because we don't really have a big village. Um, so, but I'm learning, I've learned over the years to learn to ask for help and meet other people and seek people out because otherwise you just, you have breakdowns. You can't do it by yourself, you know, and especially pre COVID, you know, I'm traveling two, three times a week. And I would try, it was to the point where I got tired of saying, I'm traveling here, I'm traveling there. And they see my suitcase. So <laughs> I would just leave after, leave the house or I would leave the city right after the show. I'd find like an 1120 flight. 
and try to get back. I do an interview around two or three o'clock and try to get back by like six, seven, eight. So that way I could see them before they went to bed. And I, they would just think I had a long day. I stopped telling them that I was flying all over because then they kept getting like this agita, like, where are you going this time? Where are you going that time? So right, I learned right. to, it was hard on me, but I was traveling all over the place. And for about a year and a half up until last, like not too long ago, I was working six days a week because I was doing the Saturday show and then the third hour started. Um, and I, so I was, I didn't know, should I give up the Today Show desk and do this show? You know, it was so, but after so long, six days a week, it was killing it's me. It's a grind. It is a grind. And, and and when you get to that, to that level of that rarefied air, you do feel like you should do it just to pay your dues. That's a part of paying your dues in the business, no? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, you know, like I said, my, I'm, so I'm six years in now um, and I finally feel like after six years, it's almost like four years of school and then two years for a graduate degree or something like that. <laughs> I finally am comfortable. And I know that sounds crazy because yeah. people say, oh, you look comfortable. But no, I finally feel yes. like I'm here. You know, I yeah. over quarantine, you know, I'm learning how to do a twist out and like actually wearing it on the air. And it just felt like I didn't have to be this, you know, helmet hair you know, you can be, and now it's okay. Like people want you for who you are. And so even that has helped me as a mom, you know, my daughter, like one day we can rock some braids. One day I'll put some clips in the next day I'll have the curly twist out, like whatever we want to do. You see that we can do that now. And even girls watching, like the rules are changing. Yeah. Um, the so rules are changing. they are, they are mm-hmm. slowly, but surely. Yes. And I'm happy about that. I think that I think 2020 has made us all better. And I think that we've removed our blinders. And I think that we are very everyone, not just black people, not brown people, but we're unapologetic about where we live and what we want to do. Where we live means what moves us, because journalism, in my opinion, and I'll get your question, your thoughts on this has changed the way we report and the way in which we um, consume news has changed from just present the facts and put it out there. And that is because there is. I feel an assault on the fourth estate um, with the advent of fake news and people feeling as if you can't really trust the media. We have to tell news in a very different way that isn't necessarily what our training base was. Um, and I'm OK with that, too. But it also lends um, it gives you the freedom to feel like I believe to wear your twists on air and your braids and be who you are, because you're seeing people. Um, beyond that fourth wall. We're breaking it down, especially with social media too. And I think it's a beautiful thing. Do you not? No, absolutely. It's so freeing. I remember the first time I... You know, I, had, I would always put my hair in like braids for spring break because I couldn't really, you know, I haven't really done on the air. And I remember <laughs> not even posting it. And then one day, I don't even remember how many years ago, it was like, this is really stupid. Like, and I remember posting a picture and Claire and I both had braids the same way. We were going to Puerto Rico or something. And it was like... Oh, I think even my people who follow me are finally like, okay, there you are. Like, it just... And it wasn't that I... I don't know. I just... We don't have to... We can't put our hair. It's fine. Like, I don't know. I can't, it's hard to explain. But coming up, you feel like you have to fit this mold. But you recognize, especially now, no one wants a mold. They want a human being. And so what I bring to the table is, yeah, yes. Yeah. Right? Like, yes, I was born in Philly, but I was also raised in Wichita, Kansas. And yes, I went to New Hope Baptist Church. And yes, I went to Northwestern. And all of those things make me who I am. So when I sit down and tell you a story... A human being is telling me the story with my point of view. And granted, I still believe in the facts and, you know, trying to, you know, obviously. Yes. But. Yeah. There's a human being behind who's, you know, the person talking. 
And I and I think that allows everyone to see you in, in a different way. I know your digital series, which I think is absolutely adorable and perfect and fun. And that's me. For me, that's that space that I think you're owning, which we need to see more of. Like, I like that you're interviewing moms of famous people. I love that you interviewed Steph Curry's mom and Shaq's mom. And um, who else? Oh, how was interviewing Venus and Serena Williams's mother? I, I worked in tennis for years and she was oh, yeah. I mean, like this, we could never get we could never get to her. So that's a, that's a get, by the way. Oh, it was a listen, and I think they realize now that it's not about trying to get some dirt on your kid or whatever. I genuinely come from a place of, you know, you see these folks come on the show, and there are some people who are just so darn like likable or talented, and you're like, where did your mama feed you? you know, I'm not saying that, you know, because of parents, but I did think, you know what? I love to hear their stories, like what they cook, because I'm stressed out cooking every day. Like, what does she cook? You know and and how does she do it? And what would she do differently? Like, that's literally where this was born. And I think the women have been receptive to saying, okay, I'll sit down and talk with you because they recognize that I come from love. Like, I'm not trying to get some, you know, salacious information yeah. on your kid. And it's been um, really one of the most gratifying things I've ever done. Oh, wow. I love you for saying that because truly it is. By the way, we all need some good news. We need some light news. And when they realize you're not like it's not a gotcha story, then they understand. Okay, I get it. She's not out to get me. So um, last month you reported about 800,000 women that dropped out of the workforce in September and you spoke to them. You talked to them about and you found out what these women were sacrificing sacrificing in terms of their career for their children. Talk to me about what do you think your role is in terms of the media? What do, why are you in this position where people- That's a really, really good question. Because I feel like you know what you are here for and what you have to highlight and what your- I don't know, mission is. Talk to me about that. So I remember, so before I was at the Today Show, I hosted uh, Good Day Philadelphia uh, for almost 10 years. So I was a morning anchor in Philadelphia. And I remember after my, ki- you know, all the kids are born. So my twins um, were, when they were, my twins were born, my oldest was, was three years old. So imagine twins and a three-year-old doing morning news, being there at four o'clock. And I anchored to 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. So four hours a morning. There were days where I, I just, I couldn't see straight. You know, I would go mm-hmm. home and want to be with them. And I, I was missing their mornings. Like I felt like I didn't see them in the morning and, and babies are fresh in the morning. By the time you get home at noon, one o'clock, you know, so it was just, mm-hmm. it was very difficult. And I remember being in the car and uh, William McDowell's song came on. It's a gospel song. I give myself away. And I remember pulling over and just receiving that. My life is not my own is what he says to you. I belong. And I was like, Lord, I know I want to be here. I know this is what I want to do, but I just, Lord, I need help. And I'm being so honest. And I, that moment I get chills just thinking about it, that changed me because what I felt like I was told is that it's not about you. It's about everyone else. Right. So mm. I give myself away. So when I'm on that set shortly after that, I got a note from a little girl. 
I went and see what you're wearing in the morning and not wear that color to school. So you had on purple, you know, just silly. But like, you know, you recognize it is bigger than you. You know, I remember interviewing the mayor and I would have all these notes and I'm like in Philly, I'm like, okay, I need to say this budget question and that. And then I remember one day after I had volunteered reading books and I was in like Southwest Philly or something like that. And then I went out to the main line in Philly, which is like a, you know, a ritzy area, maybe a 45 minute drive or whatever. And it felt so unfair because I had these third grade classrooms and this classroom, you know, they didn't even have books in this classroom. They're like literally under this tree in an atrium. And then I remember when then the mayor came on, I said, can I ask you a question? Like, this just doesn't feel fair, you know? And it was just like, everything changed for me because it wasn't about the budget is 2.3 million and I need to know that the next meeting on Thursday, it was like, what is wrong with this system? You know, I was just able to come out of it and it changed how I report, how I feel like, and then when you feel like you're an advocate for someone else or that you're representing someone else, it makes it a lot easier to take because it's not about me. And that is kind of what gets me through, even on the Today Show, like, especially when I first started, I remember I went back home one time, I took one of my grandpa's pens and I kept it with me. And for years, like when you would see me on the desk, I always had a pen because it made me feel like it was like grounding the stock. I come from good stock and they're home. And this is where I come from right here. So I may not see anybody around, but it's right here. It's right here. You know, those kinds of things. That's kind of how I move. I give myself away. Girl, that is a word. That is a Sunday. It's every day. I Every Sunday, especially not every day, every Sunday, I try to put on my gospel and just have it in the house and just get my mind right. You know, you have church at home. Um, and that song is so very touching. I, it's not my life is not my own. To you, I belong. I give myself away. That is beautiful. And that was beautifully said. Um, and I do believe um, that the reason why you love what you do, because you know, that is your calling. Like you have to be able to do that. Um, so my wish for you is that, um, that whatever you do, it is truly your passion and that you love what you do. Um, and that you're able to speak in a world that allows you to be your true authentic self and everybody receives it with the love in which you give um thank you so much for joining us on the brown print i mean i've always was a fan i'm even more of a fan now always thank you this was so good so as we wrap up our conversation with chanel jones um and of course you have seen her as the co-host of the third hour of the today show but what i really truly enjoyed about her was her authenticity and i love being able to have these conversations because i take away so many things uh and the first one was that it takes a village she said that a lot throughout the podcast if you paid attention but her village started when she was a little kid when she would be reading the minutes at church and everyone was encouraging her in the church from the pastor to her family and her friends you can do it you can do it one thing that chanel has been able to do in an industry that doesn't always reward this especially for brown women is that she has been able to amplify her platform as a mother, as a wife, uh, and obviously as a host of the most popular morning show. And it's hard to have all of those things. It's hard to be able to be a mom, a working mom, and a wife, and feel like you're meeting everyone's needs. Uh, And she felt like she wasn't. And she had that moment where she stopped and she asked, what am I doing? Let me get help. If we're ever to be successful, we must ask for help and when we need to ask for help. And last but not least, be willing to do the work. 
Uh, Chanel talked about being a one-man band. That was her first drop where she carried the camera and tripod at 411. I could imagine that was pretty difficult, but she did the work. She loved the work. Even now, she said she was working six days a week up until recently as she hosted the Weekend Today show and worked Monday through Friday. That's doing the work. No matter what stage of the game that you're in, you have to be willing to do the work. Uh, I do appreciate her being honest and saying that she had been at Today Show for six years and she's just starting to feel at home and comfortable, but she's still doing the work. The grind never stops. I hope you guys can take that away. And more importantly, I hope you've enjoyed this edition of The Brown Print with Miss Chanel Jones. I'll talk to you guys next week. That's it for this week's episode of The Brown Print. Let's keep the conversation going online. You know I love to go online. Follow us on Instagram at The Brown Print Podcast and on Twitter at Brown Print Pod. Follow me, Carrie Champion, on IG and Twitter. You can find me at Carrie Champion. Don't at me if you got attitude. Well, okay. We'd love to hear your feedback. Or if there's a specific topic you want us to tackle or guests that you want us to have on, please reach out to the brownprintpod at gmail.com. Again, at brownprintpod at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. It helps spread the word. It is so important that we stay active and vocal. We'd greatly appreciate it if you showed us some love by leaving a five-star rating and a positive review. If you do not, I know you are a hater. Haha. <laughs> kidding kind of not really meanwhile uh again five-star rating and positive review we need it it really helps the podcast grow the brown print is a gallery media group original production